Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here is Elder Com Doyle. Thank you, Caleb and Valentina. That was beautiful. And we do thank the Lord this morning for the cross of Calvary. Amen. Well, greetings to one and all this morning. And uh, I'm on a different screen this morning, so I can't exactly see where everybody's joining in from. But um, whether it's Ballarat or Queensland or Western Australia or further afield, the Lord bless you this morning. And um, before we go into the word, let's just open in a word of prayer. Lord God, we do thank you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for each other, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for every blessing, every good thing that comes from you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord. And uh, it is a privilege, Lord, to handle the word of God this morning. For your word says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. And it's also discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And... Uh, Lord, we just pray this morning, Lord, that um, your word, Lord, will search us out, Lord. We need it, Lord. We need, Lord, to be checked. We need to be corrected. We need to be encouraged. We need to be admonished. And uh, your word, Lord, can do that. So we just ask this morning that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, we want to receive. We want to listen. We want to act upon it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I've called the message this morning, Two Sons and Two Ways. And um, it's based, of course, as you pick up from the name, on a, on a well-known parable, and a favourite parable of many, being the parable of the lost son. And uh, just to set in context, the parable of the lost son is obviously in the Gospel of Luke. And you know, many believe that the Gospel of Luke and also the Book of Acts are by the same author, Luke. In fact, if you look at the opening of both, they're both addressed to an individual called Theophilus. And uh, in the book of Acts, it appears to refer back to Luke's gospel. The Luke's gospel is believed to have been written about 85 years of the common era, which is about 50 years or so after Calvary. And he is the beloved physician that Paul refers to in the book of Colossians. He's probably a Gentile. And we can see from his writing that he's an educated author who provides a great level of detail so um, that's just a little bit about Luke himself. Now, almost all of chapter 15 is in red, or it's the words of Jesus. And when I see that, there's extra weight attached for me anyway. It's, these are, are special words, and, and all, the, all of the word of God is special. But, but the words of Jesus um, carry, carry, much, carry much for me. And the chapter itself it's, it's, contains th- three well-known and loved parables, being the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Now, the parables of the lost coin and the lost son are only found in the Gospel of Luke, whereas the parable of the lost sheep you'll also find in the Gospel of Matthew. 
And of course, the overriding theme, which we pick up from the, these three titles, is lost. Although it's often called the prodigal son, prodigal being wasteful. I think the, uh, the greater meaning is being lost and found, found again. Now, some parables, they're allegorical. They, um, you know, for example, like the sower and the seed or the wheat and the tares, and they require an explanation. And we find in the scriptures, in such cases, Jesus gives the actual explanation. And before mentioned sower and the seed, that's special to me because that's the parable that was preached on the morning that I was saved. So parables are special. But the three parables in Luke 15, they don't require that, they're direct. And each one builds on the same truth with the strongest emphasis being made in the parable of the lost son. It's a bit like a Pastor Werner or any of the musical people would probably appreciate it's like a crescendo. It, it builds up, it builds up to a, a climax, this theme of being lost in the parable of the lost son. Now let's have a look at a scripture that um, tells us the reason why Jesus used parables. So I'll just have a look at my Bible here, Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 to 13. And it says there, and the disciples came and said unto him, why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken, even that he hath away. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because they seeing not, I beg your pardon, because they seeing, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. So there's great spiritual depth in the simple parables. But the message there is that your heart has to be open to understand and to receive the meaning. And these parables, although addressed to a specific group at a specific time, they very much apply to us and have an application for the present day. Now the scene is set in chapter 14 of Luke. And you'll find there, if you read through the chapter, it talks about how Jesus had visited the homes of the Pharisees and the scribes, and it talks then about how multitudes started to follow him. So it sets a little bit of the picture of, of um, what precedes chapter 15. And it says that the three parables, they're spoken in response to the murmurings of the scribes and the Pharisees. And the words they use are, this man received sinners and he eaten with them. Now we see the same complaint elsewhere in the gospels also. That's a common, this is a common theme with the, the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, the parables we're looking at this morning, or particularly the, the parable of the lost son, they're a response to the scribes and the Pharisees, but they're also heard by the other party involved, the, the sinners and the publicans. Now, again, to put a little bit of context and a bit of introduction, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they consider a divided humanity into two distinct classes, the unclean and the righteous. And um, they decided to live as much as possible in complete separation from the clean. This is the, the scribes and the Pharisees. And uh, some of the writings even say that the, the rabbis of Jesus' day, 
they took it so seriously that they'd refused to even teach the word of God to um, the unclean. And, uh, you know, if you want, you can even see this same thinking carried into the, um, the writings of Paul. We have Peter. Uh, we know a lot about Peter. And uh, Peter, a man who actually was present and participated in the, the uh, gospel being received by the Gentiles and the falling of the Holy Spirit, is rebuked by Paul because in Galatians 2, he withdrew from the Gentiles in order to appease the Jews. So this thought of separation and, and uh, you know, being separated from the unclean ones is something that, that's relevant to the introduction here. It gives a little bit of a background as to why the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees thought in this manner. Again, we have a look at another scripture. We can look at another, another scripture in Luke, in, in uh, Luke chapter 5. And it says there in verse 31 and 32, again, this is um, what Jesus has to say. And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus has got a very, very different outlook. And he's, he's not here necessarily for the, the good ones, but he's here for the, the lost. And in the eyes of God, one lost and perhaps to us, one insignificant sinner is of great importance. Uh, we, we will see when we read these, um, these uh, parables, when such a one is found and truly repents, the angels in heaven rejoice. And um, again, just by, by background, when we read them in the moment, looking through the, the, these three parables, there's a bit of a mathematical progression because we have in the opening parable, we have a man who loses 1%, this is the one in 100 sheep, followed by a woman who loses 10% or one of the 10 coins, followed by a father who loses effectively 100% because we're talking about a son talking about a son who goes wayward and who is lost. And uh, just to end, to end the introduction, you know, just a, a thought for ourselves, to consider where you and I came from this morning, that we were once lost, and that the Father did not give up on me or you. And as a consequence, we should not give up on those who are lost either. So we should never have that attitude of being above or, or those being, you know, that are, perhaps obnoxious sinners or, or, or repugnant sinners, that they're, they're too unclean or too unworthy for us to approach or to, or to minister the word of God to. So that's not a thought that should be part of our makeup or, or our walk. So let's uh, now read a bit of scripture. Uh, we're going to read all of chapter 15. It's quite long, but I think it's, it's valuable to read it because uh, there's a lot going on here. And um, let's do that and let's Try to pick up what's going on and, and listen to the words in detail. So starting in verse 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man received sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, did not lead the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he found it, he laid it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends 
our neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. Either, what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, do not light a candle and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it. And when she'd found it, she calls her friends and her neighbours together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with righteous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no human gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hard servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hard servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son and is, was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew an eye to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father had killed the fatted calf, because he had received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. Yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, which had devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Amen. Now it's apparent that the scribes and Pharisees did not approve of Jesus associating with sinners. And he doesn't openly rebuke them, but he tells these three stories 
or parables. Now in the parable of the lost sheep and lost coin, there's nothing overtly confrontational. They re represent the lost repenting and coming to salvation. And I guess you can even imagine the scribes and Pharisees listening and probably approving of what they heard. The parable of the lost son, however, is different and it's personal and there's more participants. Instead of a harmless sheep or an inanimate coin, we have a rebellious younger son who is disrespectful to his father and another older son who believes he is righteous. So there's more going on here. Let's have, first have a look now at the lost son. Now we see in verse 12 that the younger son asks for his share of the, of the estate and by the traditions of the time, his share was lesser than the elder brother. His share was one third. And he was entitled to this, but it was a selfish request. The correct thing would have been to wait for his father to pass away. You know, perhaps this would have hurt the father and made him feel that his son would wish that was the case, that he was dead. You now we can consider in today's situations and, you know, some of us may have been unfortunate enough to experience what it can be like for a family that um, breaks up or falls out over inheritance or over uh, dispute over probate or an estate. That's not a very nice thing. That's a very common thing. Sometimes the worst behavior is brought out of people at such times. So when we are young, you know, I see an application. When we are young, often in our quest to show our independence, we can be extremely selfish and hurtful. In fact, the quest to be independent from God and his boundaries, it can be traced all the way back to the book of Genesis. Now, how many of us here this morning, and I include myself in this, and it's not something I'm proud of, can look back and say that, you know, there's instances where we disrespect or dishonored or, you know, we're, you know, rude or, or just, just misbehaved with our fathers or mothers. It's a common thing. Earlier in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus says that a man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions and that we need to be aware of covetousness. So there's things that are more, far more important than material inheritance. And we find that the young son in this parable, he, he has to learn this the hard way. And we see that to learn and to grow, we have to make our own mistakes. Now the father in this parable, he's not reactive. He doesn't fly off the handle, but he shows great patience. And despite the shame and the difficulty involved in having to sell and you know, in having to do what he shouldn't have to do at that time, he granted the younger son's wish. So in, this first, in the first parables we looked at, the, the sheep and the coin, the man and the woman, they go searching for that which is lost. In this parable, the father effectively watches as the younger son sets out to get himself lost. And we can look at another scripture, which I've chosen this morning from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. We all know this one. It says there, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed 
may live. Now, God very clearly gives us a choice and a sinner can go his own way that that's what he wishes to do. And uh, in this case, the son chose to go that, take that direction. And it's not a rash moment for the son. He's deliberated on his actions. And we can see that in verse 13 because it takes him several days to organize himself before he leaves for this Gentile land. You know, in effect, he's choosing to leave the covenant people or the chosen people to dwell among the heathen. And we can see here that all actions that first conceived in the heart. So this son has already made the journey and perceived the, the pleasures and those wonderful things he's looking forward to before his, spirit, his, his physical departure. And uh, another scripture from the book of Proverbs, you know, can be used here. Again, as a father, this time speaking to a son. And Proverbs 4, verse 23, another one we all know, it says there to keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. Now in verse 13 and 14 of, of, of the parable, we see that he squanders all that his father had worked hard for on selfish and sinful living. You know, I can picture him surrounded by the hangers-on and those who would be only too willing to help him spend the money. And that's the reality of this world that... Um, You'd be very, very popular if you're splashing around cash and, and uh, shouting drinks as it were and, and um, you know, paying the tab. But once financial rule comes, and it does come, in the scripture we see in verse 14 that it's immediately followed by a famine. And we know that in the scripture the famine represents judgment. You know, sometimes, the message here for me is sometimes God has to use very harsh means and it's in his mercy to get our attention and to break our pride. Now, as an example, I have a family and, um, you know, since I've been saved back in 1992, I regularly, and I try to do it daily, to pray and to name the members of my family. And um, so far, you know, the Lord's will, and, 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 and I do pray it will happen one day, they haven't come to know the Lord to my knowledge. Sometimes I pray, Lord, even if you have to, you know, to get their attention. And you don't wish harm on people, but even do something drastic just to shake them out of their complacency or their lost condition. You know, and, you know that could be a sickness, an illness. You know, sometimes the Lord has to do that. It could be a bereavement, I don't know. But it's better to have that sort of medicine now than to go into an eternity lost in hell. So, you know, we have to bear that in mind. Perhaps when we think, you know, terrible things are happening, maybe sometimes God has to do that. Now, we go back to the song. He's lost everything and he's stranded in the foreign land and he's in the midst of disaster. And I put here all of the beautiful people. You can put that in, in inverted commas. And all the hangers-on that disappeared. So you can think of the, all of the Kardashians and all of the, the Megan and Harrys and all of these... Um, Glamorous people that are spoken of around the world, for example, they're gone. No, no more popularity. He's truly lost. And, um, you know, I have a couple of true stories here just to, to give you an illustration, but just from my background. And, you know, one story concerned a, a famous Irishman, and he's not related to me, but his name was, was Jack Doyle. And he was a famous boxer. And he was... He was a man, he was six foot five, he had uh, charisma, he had the looks, he was a champion boxer. He was an actor, 
He was a singer. He was known as the gorgeous Gale. He had a, what would seem to the world to be everything, but he got caught up in the Hollywood scene of wild and loose living. You know, and his end wasn't very nice. He, he wasted it all effectively. And he finally died in London. He died from cirrhosis of the liver. And he only escaped a pauper's funeral because of the charity of the people of his hometown in Ireland. So once surrounded by many, the famous, he died on his own. Now, shortly before he died, he was interviewed and the journalist asked him if he had any regrets about his, his prodigal living as it were, his spending, and would he have spent his money more wisely. And he said, none at all, he said. "'Twas never a generous man went to hell. You know, people can be very flippant and it's sad to hear people speak like that. And you often hear people saying, you know, oh, I don't mind if I go to hell, you know, I'll party down there or whatever. That's not, it's not the case in eternity at all. You know, people can be very, um, you know, put on a, a bravado, but it's, a, you know, we should pity them really because it's, 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 it's something that's, that's terrible. Another story, just to contrast that, and um, Peter probably noticed because there was a, a couple who used to come to the church, Mancunians, they were, or one of them, uh, the, the man was from Manchester, but it concerns another famous Irishman, whose name was George Best, and he was a, a most gifted soccer player. And, um, you know, if you want to, if you like soccer, you can look him up and you can see some of his, his play. He was a spectacularly gifted player, which never became very well known in the world scene because he only played for Northern Ireland, which um, never got to play much internationally. But he too, he squandered his... Um, earnings on a promiscuous living and on his addiction to alcohol. But his story ended differently. His story ended well because the nurse in the hospital who was looking after him was a born again Christian and was able to lead him to the Lord three weeks before he died. And it's actually a gospel tract now that, that, that tells of this, um, this uh, account or testimony. And you know, I'd encourage people to, to look up and to read it. But the lesson from both those is the same, that fame, fortune and talent often exactly a very, very heavy price, and many who have it can't handle it. So again, let's return to the young son. We see in verse 15 that he sells himself into slavery. And laboring, he works at feeding swine, which are unclean to the Jewish people. And he says he's, that he's so hard up, he desires the pig's food. Furthermore, it says there that no man would help him. The pigs were better off. In fact, he'd hit rock bottom or skid row. Again, we could ask where were all his friends and where were all the party goers now? I often think of people that are in prison, you know, that, that criminals have gone to prison for, you know, perhaps murder or, or heinous or terrible crimes. You know, I wonder did their accomplices and those who shared in crime come to visit them? In his situation, it's a picture of the backslidden Christian bound by sin. Sin, it promises freedom but bring slavery. And look, we can look at another scripture in the Gospel of John this morning. John chapter 8, verse 34, where it says there, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. So we serve only one of two masters. We serve either the Lord, or we serve the prince of this world, Satan. Then we come to verse 17, where a light goes on. 
that fateful moment arrives. It says he comes to his senses. The son reflects on his condition. He realizes that even the casually hired servants had it better than he did. What was your fateful moment this morning? Those of us I'm speaking to who are born again Christians. I know mine. Mine was built up over a period of time because guilt and shame started to, to really burden me and to wake me down. And uh, when I heard the message preached, I guess I was ripe that morning for the Lord to, to call me. And um, I was saved. And I, I experienced, and I, I can remember just the tremendous relief of having the burden of guilt, shame, and that, you know, the, the thought of the sins of years previous lifted off me that I was carrying. And, uh, you know, the light goes on. We have that moment, a fateful moment. And it's one that I believe we never forget as Christians. And his predicament helps him to see his father in a different light. The hope arises. You know, perhaps when we become parents, we have a better understanding of what our parents have to deal with because we have to deal with our children. And it's not always easy. What we see here reflects the sinner when he truly sees his lost condition and realizes that his only hope is God. So the repentant sinner, he must come to his senses and realize his condition and his need to be saved or restored to right relationship with God. Now, I believe very firmly we're saved by grace through faith, but we must realize our condition and change our mind accordingly. I cannot, I mean, I, I know some people have different views, but I personally, I cannot see a shortcut around repentance. It's not a work. It's, a, it's an acknowledgement. It's a change of heart or a change of mind. So in verse 18, we see the son decides on a course of action. And we could question there, is he motivated by hunger and want or repentance? But the fact is that he's willing to give up all his rights as a son and come as a servant. And this shows humility and repentance, not necessarily based on words, but based on actions and what he plans. Now, when we come to Jesus, we have absolutely nothing to trade or bargain with. We simply trust in what he has done. We think of those words, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Now we come to the second character in the parable, the father. Now Jesus shows here the father is waiting for the son and watching patiently from a distance. Perhaps there are many occasions when you as a father would have to watch and to wait to wait for a loved one concerned about their safety. And that's what fathers do. On the theme of fathers, nowadays we live in, a, in an age where Satan very clearly wants to destroy the family and the role of the father. You can hear a lot spoken nowadays about those who, who they want to, what they say, deconstruct or, or destroy the so-called patriarchy. Fatherhood should not be clouded by the actions of bad fathers and those who've done the wrong thing. Fathers too love their children. Fathers wait for their children. 
It's been given unto fathers to love, just as it's been given unto mothers to nurture. So the role of father, although it's belittled, and we look at, at, at films and, and things nowadays, you'll see that it's, uh, the father has often made the butt of the joke. But the role of the father is very, very important. And um, the father, the love of the father can never be underestimated. So a proud father concerned about only what others may think will not run to meet a returning son disgraced, but this father does. So he's not concerned with what the neighbors think. And we see further, when the father reaches the son, he wraps his arms around him and greets him with a kiss. He is joyful. He doesn't let him finish his confession. There's no lecturing or chastisement, but there's forgiveness and his acceptance back into fellowship. God definitely hates sin, and he will punish the unrepentant sinner. But here we've got a great picture of the mercy and the grace of God, and the two have to be held in balance. The son would have accepted the position of a slave, but instead he's restored fully. Only God's grace and mercy can do this for the sinner. There's no greater experience than knowing your sin has been dealt with and that you are forgiven. I know this personally, and I'm sure many listening this morning can say the same. And not only have we received forgiveness, but adoption. We're now co-heirs with Christ. And if we look at verse 22 there, we can see there's three items of significance that the Father gives to the Son. The best robe signifying dignity and honour. This morning, as born-again believers, we're clothed in the robes of righteousness. He gives them a ring signifying authority and sonship. Now, we represent Jesus as his ambassadors in this world, and we have his delegated authority. He also gives them sandals, meaning that it is no longer a servant. Servants, in that time, did not wear footwear. And we have the shoes of the gospel of peace this morning. He also prepares the fatted calf. And the definite article was used there. It's the fatted calf. So it's a, spe a very special occasion. Without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sin. So we have that element also in the parable. The son deserved judgment and separation, but received the opposite. Let's go have a look now at another scripture. Psalm 103, again, one we know very well, verse 10 to 13. And we can think of this when we look at our, our, where we are today and where we come from. It says there, he had not dealt with us after our sin or rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far had he removed our transgressions from us. And again, let's home in this verse here. Like a father pitied his children, so the Lord pitied them that fear him. The love of the Father. The first two parables have an emphasis of what is lost and then found. But this parable, we go up a notch because now we're talking about what was dead and is now alive. Now let's go to the third character, the elder son. Now I've often felt sympathy for the older son. Perhaps that showed the degree of maturity of my walk when I used to think that way. But as you progress, I think, and, and read the scriptures more, go through them deeper, you find there's definitely another story going on here. 
and another story to tell. And in reality, we'll see this son is also lost. And perhaps the parable should have been called the parable of the lost sons, plural. Now Jesus intended this son to represent the Pharisees and the scribes. They thought they were blameless, but really their attitudes were offensive. We see in verse 29 how the son, older son, elder son, worked hard. He was obedient and he apparently brought no disgrace to his family. The condition of his heart, however, is revealed when his younger brother returns and his real attitude to his father is revealed. Instead of demonstrating love, he shows anger, resentment, pettiness and disrespect. He also dishonors the father by refusing to come in from the field. God reaches out to us when we were still sinners. The father would still reach out to this arrogant, angry, disrespectful son. It brings to my mind the story of Cain and Abel and Cain's attitude towards his brother Abel when his sacrifice was found to be unacceptable by God. We have to be very, very careful of of, of, um, our attitudes and what comes out of our heart. He fails to realize that anyone who claims to be in light but hates his brother is still in darkness. We have to be aware of that. We can't hate a brother or sister and claim to be in the light. This older brother allows anger and the root of bitterness to take hold. We see in verse 30 how he says, this son of yours, he's not even acknowledging him as, as his brother. His attitude shows years of obedience, but not out of love, but out of self-gain. Another story comes to mind here, Bible story, a story of the woman who was caught in adultery. And we have there the, the scribes and Pharisees, they were accusing, pointing the finger, until Jesus spoke those famous words, that he was without sin cast the first stone. Perhaps this elder son was casting aspersions by bringing up the topic of of, um, the younger brother wasting his money on harlots and prostitutes. Maybe in his own heart, he dwelled on some things that are similar. It doesn't say it there, but the type of heart that was was present in those that were accusing the woman caught in adultery, the same heart we see in this elder son. The fact that appearances deceive, make the elder son, his position much more dangerous. There's a great danger of being deceived. There's a great danger of, of um, self-deception. You know, a simple image that may convey something would be, you often look at a, what appears to be a very sturdy tree or a strong gum tree or whatever it could be standing. Yet a large branch, it can be riddled by termites in the middle, it can be hollowed out and it can drop and fall at the shortest notice. So we can't tell necessarily from the outside appearance what's going on inside. Now, similar to the younger son, the father demonstrates a very gentle approach to win the, the elder son back. And he, he says he goes out to him. And again, the thought comes to me that the father reaches to us, even when we were still sinners, that thought of... Um, looking and searching, looking for the lost. But 
in this case, it appears to fall on deaf ears because it's not brought to a conclusion. So what is the, what's the application of these three? Now this morning we can see ourselves as the younger son and we can give a testimony of where we have been and what the Lord has done. And we often do that. We mean, I've done that. We often talk about the, the bad things we were and the, you know, the obviously external sins we committed and, and how the Lord has saved us from those things. But we don't often like to be identified with the elder son. We don't like to talk about our conceit, our self-righteousness, our pride, our arrogance, or our hypocrisy. And when we think about it, when we're honest before the Lord, that the reality is that even as Christians, we collapse into both states, into both conditions displayed by those sons. This attitude of the elder brother, it represents us when we think that Jesus owes us something. You know, we've all done this. We can all say, look at how much I serve, no one else does. Look how much I pray, and no one else does. Look how much I outreach, you fill in the blank. We start to elevate what we're doing as the thing that's important. And the question then comes to mind, well, whose salvation is it? Is it our reward or does the reward belong to Jesus? Look at our children. Do we love our children because they're worthy? Or wouldn't we gladly take on their pain and their hurt to see them safe and secure? The bottom line for me is that Christ, he did not need my acceptance, but I needed his forgiveness. My own goodness, it's worthless to God, but only the imputed righteousness of Jesus is of value. There's another interesting aspect that we see that comes out of these two sons in looking at them. And that concerns what, what, something that is not spoken about very often, perhaps in, in preaching, but it's the seven deadly sins. And uh, we know what they are this morning. We, we, we list them. They're, they're lust, gluttony, greed, Sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. And look at this morning, those two sons. Which sons were guilty of which sins? Obviously, the first son, his sins were external, they were evident. They were lust, they were gluttony, they were greed, they were sloth. And obviously, the second son was wrath. He displayed an unrighteous anger envy of his younger son and pride in his old condition and his own righteousness. In the parable, which sins are dealt with and forgiven and which ones do we not get the conclusion on? Thankfully for the younger son, he comes to a census. He receives the forgiveness. Eldest, the elder son we don't know if you picture the scribes and the Pharisees listening to that, I'm sure they would have been fuming. But they've heard, they had the opportunity. How many scribes and Pharisees were saved? I don't know exactly, but many were there to see Jesus judged and to see him crucified unlawfully and unjustly. Now, is there a preferable condition or son? The truth is that both sons, if they've remained in a sinful state, would be lost. Then the question is, well, what should we do? And the answer I have is to turn to the third son 
And the third son is Jesus, who is the narrator. Salvation only comes through Jesus. I'll just close this morning by saying that I hope that you got something from, from this. I certainly have. And again, I just encourage us, we have to be on guard. It's quite easy to go from the younger son's condition to the older son's condition. It's extremely easy to fall into pride and self-righteousness and arrogance. Pride, after all, is the most deadly sin. It's the root of all sins. And we have to be careful. We have to check ourselves. We have to be constantly checking ourselves and seeing if we're into faith and, and walking correctly. You know that um, the parables, they are simple and wonderfully effective. In fact, um, just in, in doing a bit of that background reading before I prepared this this morning, the famous English author, Charles Dickens. And we know Charles Dickens is a Victorian author and a writer of many great stories like Oliver Twist and, and um, you know, Christmas Tale, all those stories. He was asked what was the greatest short story in the English language. And he said it was this parable. And there's many cases of people who, ha who hadn't been reached by perhaps complex preaching or deep preaching who've been reached by this simple story. It's got the whole gospel, it's got everything in there and it touches the heart. So I'll just close on that this morning. I will say that the Lord bless you all, bless his word unto you and um, bless you the rest of this day. Amen. Thank you, Lord. God bless you all.